Welcome to Starting Nowhere. I'm your host, Brandon. Do me a favor, and on whatever platform you're on, make sure that you like, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Today, my guest is Dr. Steven Schwartz. Dr. Schwartz is an expert in artificial intelligence, also known as AI. Today, we're going to talk about the early days of AI, what AI is and isn't capable of, and why you should not fear it. Please enjoy today's episode. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Dr. Steven. Why don't you go ahead and tell people a little bit about yourself and who you are? Sure. I'm Steve Schwartz. Uh, I've been a longtime uh, AI researcher, entrepreneur, and investor. Uh, started my career many, many years ago as a postdoc at Yale University in, the, uh, in artificial intelligence. Started several AI companies invested in, in many AI companies. Um, some of those on, on both sides have been successful and some not so successful. Um, and most recently, I wrote a book uh, named Evil Robots, Killer Computers and Other Myths, The Truth About AI and the Future of Humanity that was published last month by Fast Company Press. Outstanding. Well, thank you very much for that uh, quick rundown. And I've got to, I've got to start the question he, questioning here, right, to make sure that I'm doing my due diligence as team human. Um, are you yourself AI? Are you just a, a very in depth rendering that I'm seeing on my screen, or are you a real person? Or are you AI too? You know, I started my day with that question. I was on a, <laughs> on a, on a Chicago radio show at at uh, uh, eight o'clock this morning, and the and the two hosts asked me the same question. And I say it in jest, of course, but that'd be very interesting, right? Like at some point, that is a real question that could potentially happen. You would have, again, just playing this out, this theory out in the science fiction world, if you will, uh, AI activists, whereas there'd be a person who was identified as AI or was AI and everything. And then they were coming on here to talk about AI and say how they weren't threatening. And I mean, that would be a very believable uh, turn of events. Again, I, I think our technology isn't quite there yet. So I believe you, you're probably a real person that seems to be logical. But uh, I could see that being part of the future right. with the people who are writing AI and how that code would come to learn because it, correct me if I'm wrong, but part of AI is like uh, learning from other media sources and everything like that. It learns how humans act. It learns how we think and learn certain things from that perspective. Is that accurate? Or do you think that that's a little bit far-fetched? Um, well, uh, we, it can't, it has no, we, researchers have no idea how to build that kind of AI yet. Hmm. Um, but, you know, interestingly enough to get back to the, the first question you asked, um, about uh, 60 or 70 years ago, a well-known British mathematician, Alan Turing, there was a movie about him uh, not too long ago, <laughs> uh, proposed uh, what's come to be known as the Turing test mm -hmm. for determining if a computer is really intelligent. And, and essentially, you know, the way the test works is, well, if a, if a human interviewer can't tell the difference between a human and a computer, then it must be intelligent. Um, and there were a lot of uh, problems with that test. Over the years, there have been all these contests for to see if people could build chatbots, you know, Siri-like uh, uh, systems that could fool human judges. And and over the years, there have been a, a number of them that fooled human judges but they, they do so in kind of a strange way. Um, they uh, 
you know, they don't really answer questions because they don't understand them, but they kind of give keyword-based answers. And then when the interrogator or the questioner drills down, they pretend to get mad. Oh, wow. <laughs> or, that, or something like that. Very yeah. human behavior. Very human behavior. And, and, and you know, because of that behavior, uh, some of these systems have fooled people, but um, uh, you, you, you'd never get one that would fool someone like me or somebody who really understands AI. See, I would have the, or, or I shouldn't say the opposite uh, take, but I would have a unique take on that is that I think what will happen when AI is able to convince uh, somebody they're human is not because AI has gotten that intelligent. It's because we as people have gotten that unintelligent to say it kindly <laughs> and that there is such a the gap is shortening because as it gets smarter we get dumber and therefore it'll be a lot easier to do but i know that's not how it works but so i, I think it's something that's yeah. important yeah. to start off with and we have i've gone too far already because i'm a nerd and this is really interesting to me but could you start off what is ai exactly what is the base definition of ai sure so if you think of if you, if you contrast ai with uh, conventional computer software. In a conventional computer software program, uh, a programmer writes down every single instruction that the computer has to follow. In AI systems, the AI system is responsible for learning on its own. And I say that because that, that makes AI sound more powerful than it is what it can learn is really is really very limited. Mm -hmm. um, all it can learn at this point in time is a function that relates inputs to outputs. Um, now, uh, that function can be really, really complex, and you can do some amazing things with that paradigm. So, uh, for example, most of us or, or many of us use, uh, have, uh, take pictures on their smartphones, and if you have Apple or Google, it automatically labels your faces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen that. So how does it do that? That wasn't a conventional piece of software that somebody wrote and said, you know, look at this feature on the nose and that feature on the ears and, and do those kinds of comparisons. That's not how it works. It's actually an AI system where um, the inputs were examples of people's faces, and the outputs were the names of, of people. And you ingest millions and millions, maybe billions of those examples. And now it can recognize, it, it can identify the names of people in photographs. But that's all it can do. So it can't add one plus one. It can't tell the difference between a dog and a cat. All it can do is name the people in photos. I'll say something in, that's funny first, and then I, I have a really serious question to branch off of that. But there was a really stupid use of AI that I saw, or but it was a well, it was interesting. I can't remember if it was pizza or a hot dog, but it, all it did was recognize whether some a picture of something was a piece of pizza or a hot dog, or it wasn't. That was it. That was the, the, the full extent of it. So that's the same, similar, let's say, technology to what you're talking about. And really, what we're saying there is that. You can apply that in a myriad of ways. And one of them, somebody did really foolishly, where it's just saying, hey, is this a piece of pizza or, or a hot dog or whatever? And then you or you could do something like what you're talking about, which is being able to actually recognize the the piece of data, which is the name with that input of the photo 
So I guess my question becomes, what is the fear in that for a lot of people? Where do you think that we could get ourselves in trouble with essentially what is a, um, a, an ability to recognize anyone, facial recognition and crowds and those type of things? How, how do we control that? And what do you think that that is a, a well-placed fear? Or do you think that's people watching too much, you know, uh, science fiction movies or something? Sure. And, and let me answer that question, but you know, let me go back to the hot dog classifier. Cause <laughs> yeah. that's one of my, that was one of my favorite, um, uh, AI systems. I think that was on Silicon Valley, wasn't it? Was that the name? Was that the TV show it was on? There was a TV show that did something like that, but then somebody made it in real life that I saw too. And again, I, I oh, never downloaded it. In it. Real it life. Okay. Yeah, they actually made it though. Yeah. 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 But you know, the reason I like it is because it actually captures the essence of every major AI system because that's all an AI system can do. It can classify things as, and in this case, it's just hot dog versus no hot dog. In other cases, it might be dog versus cat. Yeah. In other cases, it might be Steve versus Becky versus Allie versus Elaine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's all it can do. Uh, and, and the key thing that I explain in my book is that with all of these systems, there's absolutely no intelligence there. It's just a function relating inputs to outputs. But, and getting back to the, the question you asked, um, you know, people see Gee, I can recognize faces. It can translate language on, on web pages. I, I can talk to uh, Siri. Uh, self-driving cars are around the corner. Um, all it can do all of these things, and, and it's you know this this progress has just accelerated over the last five or ten years. So people start to ask, where will it all end? Will AI robots get so smart that they try to exterminate us? or turn us into pets, or, or just take all our jobs. And you have uh, well-known people, smart, really smart people like Tesla founder, Elon Musk, who says over and over that AI is humanity's biggest existential threat and that it poses a fundamental risk to the existence of civilization. Um, so uh, both the progress and wondering where it will end and the, 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 the pundits who say it's it's going to end badly, um, lead people to worry, and I, and I don't blame them. Uh, so in my book, I explain in simple terms how AI works and why AI systems are not going to become intelligent enough to have that ability to exterminate us, turn us into pets, or even to take all our jobs, and why it won't happen in our lifetimes or our children's lifetimes. Um, or... I guess their children's lifetimes. You're, you're my children's age. <laughs> so I think that's uh, <laughs> one one point of clarification I'd like to make, and I do this just because it, it's fun for me. But I think one of the things we see with Elon Musk is a perfect example of this. Elon Musk, to the best of my knowledge, is not an AI expert. He's a very smart man. He's done very good. He's done a lot of things or whatever. But AI isn't specifically his field, right? Am I? I believe I'm correct in saying that. Right. And so that's one of the things I think we get ourselves in well, trouble yes. with. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, except except Elon Musk um, has one of the biggest AI labs at Tesla mm-hmm. because you know Tesla's autopilot is largely run on AI. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's a major investor in, I believe, companies like OpenAI, which is one of the biggest labs in the world for AI. So he has access to, you know, the the best researchers in the world. And 
I would love to be in a room and hear what the people who report to him, the AI researchers who report to him, if they really agree with him. Because I, I can't imagine that they do. And, and that's kind of overall the point that I'm getting to is that we have this thing where we label somebody a genius, very smart or whatever, and we, then we take all of their advice across fields that they're not necessarily that intelligent in. Like, for, for example, and I, I don't want to uh, guess all of your, your expertise, but your expertise is in AI. Does that suddenly make you an expertise, excuse me, an expert in uh, aerospace or, or uh, these other fields that don't really relate? And I think it's one of the things that we have to be very careful of. And Elon Musk, again, is the biggest offender of this, in my opinion, because he's seen as a very smart man. He seems very driven, all these things. Or whatever. So everything he says is given a certain credence as if he is this expert in every field. And as to your point, he has a lot of uh, people who report to him who are working on his AI systems, and he owns a company that has AI in it. But I have two things with it. One, he's not the expert. And then two, if you believe it's an existential threat, why are you funding it? Why are you researching it and developing it? That's exactly how, if you were worried about it, wouldn't that be something you'd want to limit? Yeah. Yeah. Although, uh, to be fair, mm-hmm. you know, op- open AI, which has, which has billions of dollars in funding, not just from Elon Musk, but from sure. other, other well-known people, um, they only spend a third of their time developing AI they spend a third of their time keeping it safe and a third of their time working on policy or so they say, <laughs> or at least that's their charter. But, yeah. but the, you know, the, the intention is there to, to keep it safe. Yeah. And I, I think I said, I think AI is one of those things that is going to be a boogeyman for years to come. And I'm hopeful with people like yourself out there trying to spread the truth of what's going on. And, and again, you've studied this for, for very many years. Uh, so you're not just out there trying to protect yourself, but you're also trying to educate. And I think that's what really is better than these sensational headlines from people who aren't experts in it saying those type of things. You know, And I think that's where we yeah. get ourselves in trouble because we're doing that same thing we do with a myriad of topics again, where we're like, oh, it's going to take our jobs or it's going to kill us. And we say that about a lot of things and we get this very defensive position and then we halt it. Uh, I just don't want AI to become the electric car in like the 50s or 70s or whatever it was, where it's just beaten down by policy and fear for so many years that we ultimately don't get where we should be, which is now Tesla should have been exist. Excuse me. Tesla as a company should have existed in the 60s because we have a lot of the technology, not necessarily as nice as the Tesla is today, but we can make electric cars. And I don't want to see this become uh, the situation with AI where now because of fear, we start to push it back because the technology is there, but we're so scared of it. And we, we are also trying to protect our own interests today that we don't let it develop. So I think, like I said, that's why I think you have an important and, and message. You know, that's happened. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Appreciate that. And, and you know, that's happened twice in the past. So um, the first time it happened was in the 1960s. People were really excited about AI. And then there were a couple of studies that showed that it could never work. So one of the big studies was a lot of the research in AI in the 60s was in machine translation, like Google Translate. Mm -hmm. And there was a big report that ended up causing a lot of the government funding to be stopped for AI that basically said, well, machine translation can never work because we can't figure out how to make computers think. And of course, now you have Google Translate that works really well, mm-hmm. and it can't think at all. <laughs> but so that was one time that it happened, and then the second time was during the '80s. So when I got started in in the in, in AI in the early '80s, um, it was really hot. I mean, 
I started a couple, we started several companies and you couldn't keep the press away. Time Magazine covers, Business Week covers, just as hot as it is now. And we generated too much hype. Um, first company uh, named Cognitive Systems, our brochure said, uh, the vision to change the world. <laughs> Very humble. Yeah. <laughs> Aiming low, I see. Aiming low. <laughs> and, and, and everybody did that. And what happened was, by the end of the 80s, AI just didn't live up to the hype. You know, we didn't, we didn't generate anything that really worked like facial recognition or Google Translate. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the 90s, um, you couldn't put AI in a, in a, in a product description. A, a uh, University of California at Berkeley professor named Stuart Russell said that in, eight, in 1985, he had 900 students in his AI 101 class on average. By 1990, it was 25. Mm-hmm. And you're right. We're, we, that might happen again, but I'm not so worried because on the engineering side, um, all these applications are coming out that are really uh, having a positive impact and some that are having a negative impact. And I think right now, from what I've seen, and again, anytime that I say anything that just does not is not backed up by history, please correct me. But uh, I, I think one of the differences I would say now to versus when you were working on in the 80s is now we have the technology to take it from where it's less of a theoretical it, it, you can see it in practice. You're seeing a lot of evidence of what can be done. And now we're trying to do uh, growth from that place. So there's some examples of it working. There's some working, uh, I don't know, prototypes, if you will, but even though we have better than prototypes these days. Uh, so it, it gives you more of a feeling that this is concrete. This is a realistic idea. And I think from capitalistic perspective, that it's much easier to put money towards something once you've seen where it's starting and where it's actually growing and everything. And then also how it can be a different differentiator between your company and another company. Because if you take Tesla right now has the, uh, the self-driving, well, now how many self-driving startups are there? How many cars are trying to, how many self-startups are hoping to, excuse me, self-driving startups are hoping to get bought by a Chevy or a GMC or something like that, you know? And I think that's really where the future becomes. And I think there's a lot of momentum around it right now where it's almost in that dangerous place where a lot of people will say AI the same way they're saying blockchain or other things, just the buzzwords to get some kind of funding. And that's the danger, I think, dangerous place that AI is in right now. But I do believe it'll survive it. I, I think it's very strong. And it's realistically, it's going to be one of the technical, uh, big technical evolutions, I think, that are coming up. I, I don't know where what else I could say would outpace it from a technology perspective. Yeah, it's and what's happening is on the engineering side, uh, we're applying, you know, that that one type of AI called supervised learning, where you have it learn a function that maps inputs to outputs, doesn't develop any intelligence, but you can take that and apply it to almost every field. Now, I, I have a list in a Word doc of all the different fields where where that one technique is being applied successfully, and it's it's everywhere. It's you get it in 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 retail and in your 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 day to day productivity tools. It's happening in med all over medicine. Almost every field of medicine is is um, is being aided by these AI systems. Hmm. Um, so it's happening all over. But what's not happening is 
we have no idea how to create that really intelligent computer. We're making no progress towards that really intelligent computer. We're just, you know, applying that one method of mapping inputs to outputs, but very successfully. And I think that's something that for me would go a long way to making people less scared of it. Because if you see that it, it, it can be very smart, I forget what the IBM machine that plays chess or, or whatever. Watson. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, and so obviously it's a chess genius or whatever. But like you said before, it probably can't add one plus one. It can't do it. So we're, we're talking about so, uh, savant type nature in a very specific field. And I think that for me, that is much more comfortable for a lot of these people, I would imagine, uh, to, to conceptualize. Because what you talked about before is the, it's the Skynet. It's all these overarching intelligences that'll do all these evil things. They can take us over and eradicate humanity. And else. But if you're looking at it and all they can do is one very specific task, you have no way to do that. There's no connector. There's nothing that's going to make it have all those different systems all in one. And we're nowhere near that yet. No, nowhere near. And, and I gave you the wrong name before. You said IBM's chess program. That was uh, Deep Blue. Okay. I think Watson is what I was Watson, thinking of, though, because it, it was like it does yeah. like tests against human humans and stuff like that. I was going to say humanity, but humans or whatever. Right. It beat the Jeopardy champions. Yes. Yes. That was it. So it was Watson. I was just giving the wrong reference for saying chess. So you, that's how smart you are. You were able to take me giving two different things that weren't connected and pick out what I was actually talking about. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> so now you're, I'm starting to have suspicions that you may in fact be AI. That was a really go. hard thing for a human to connect. So there you go. I, I gotta, I've got to avoid reading your mind. Exactly. Yeah. See, that's how you give yourself away. <laughs> but uh, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about too, when we first scheduled this call is that as you've already pointed out, AI itself cannot do these evil things. It just does not have the intelligence, nor does it have the wherewithal to even want to do them, but humans do. So where do we start to look at it with the ethics of how we use AI. So things like facial recognition, you know, uh, potential for discrimin discrimination and other safety issues and those type of things. How, how do we manage that uh, as humans? Do we set, stand up some kind of ethical committee? Well, like, what's your opinion on that? So I think you have, to, you have to take each area separately. So I think discrimination is an area that's got to be regulated separately from privacy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and self-driving cars have to be separate from that. So maybe we could just talk briefly about all three, because I think, and, and weapons of war are completely separate from those, mm -hmm. but important and, 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 and. So discrimination is really important because the way AI systems are built, they're very likely to discriminate against minorities. Facial recognition is a great example because most of the, facial recognition systems were trained using images of white males. Mm. They don't work as well for females or for minorities. So what that means is, let's say you build a, a terrorist detection system. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the cameras pick everybody up in the airport and you're trying to recognize terrorists. Uh, well, that system won't do as well on minorities, which on the one hand, is good because if you're a minority terrorist, you've got a better chance of getting through. <laughs> right. But it's bad because um, if, if you're just a regular citizen, there's a bigger chance that you'll be flagged as a terrorist, detained, you'll miss your flight, 
you know, you'll ruin your day or worse. Um, and it's, you know, it's airports, it's law enforcement. So uh, uh, that kind of uh, discrimination has to be stopped and there are ways of doing it. Um, you also see that same discrimination in AI programs that make decisions about loans or hiring decisions. Um, and so those, those are big issues. And then on the privacy side, um, this ability to recognize faces and analyze camera images. What they're doing in China is they're linking every single security camera in the country to a massive AI system mm -hmm. whose job it is to monitor people 24 by 7. There was a well-known novel in, called 1984 by George Orwell. Yeah, yeah. Big Brother, they called the system. They're basically implementing Big Brother. And that's, to me, that's very scary you know, when you think of people's privacy. Now, I don't think that could happen in the United States because, because we're so sensitive to privacy here. Um, but that, that technology is, is there to do it. So, so privacy needs to be regulated separately. And then, sorry for the long answer. No, no, it's good. It's good. You're growing very in detail and I appreciate it. Self-driving cars to me is the, the, the biggest AI issue of them all um, because I'm very concerned that the government is, is going to allow companies to put a lot of self-driving cars out on the road that aren't safe. Mm -hmm. Or at least if, even if they're safe, they'll go so slow that they'll cause all kinds of traffic jams. <clears throat> and I think the government, the NHTSA in particular, the National Highway and Transport Safety Authority, should be requiring proof of safety. You know, just like they require proof of safety for the car's brakes or other systems, they should be requiring proof of safety, you know, you know, before you allow a, a driver to, to take a nap or, or watch a movie in their car. And they're not doing it. And I'm, I'm right there with you because one of the things that I always maintain, right, and this is, it makes me sound very pessimistic, but I do believe that it's true, is that humans can be very short-sighted, let's say. For in the examples you gave, and I know I've read those news uh, stories about those. Uh, unfortunately, I do believe both of those gentlemen passed, but uh, where they're putting on their autopilot, as they call it, in the Tesla, and they're going to sleep. Where in Tesla directly says, "Don't do that." It says you should be, you have to be able to maintain control, and you may be required to step in at any given moment and everything like that. But I, I do fear that a lot of people who gain access to these technologies will use them in that way and they put the rest of us at risk because of that because i think right. these technologies themselves i would say that i would trust an auto driver uh, excuse me an autopilot or a self-driving car more than i do a lot of people but i live in miami so if you've ever driven in miami you'd understand why i say that because <laughs> the people here are just all over the place and i just can't see an ai making those decisions that they make so it makes more sense to me but i do fear oh that how, how do we how do we manage that because we've had some of the accidents there and then we talk about things like again if we want to get really down the rabbit hole here and i know you would love to but i don't think the audience might but the, the uh the ethical question for um an ai machine if is do i hit this bus which has 20 people on it or do i hit this pedestrian 
who's walking across the street. And if they're doing a, a calculation from an AI perspective, they're probably going to go, well, one versus many. Whereas somebody who is like a person uh, who's driving something like that may try to take a very different uh, decision. So these are the type of ethical questions you have to program into that. And I, I don't know how that all goes. And again, I won't pretend to be smart enough to understand it, but I, I just do worry about those type of things, you know? So, you know, let's just, let's take the ethical question first. I think that one's really easy. Yeah. And the answer, the answer to that one is, so how many of your friends or family or anybody, have you ever met anybody you've ever talked to who's had to make the decision while they're driving a car, whether to hit the bus or the pedestrian? Not a pedestrian, but a dog. Yes. I've been in the car, unfortunately, when we had to make that decision. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You so, know, but, yeah. You, know, you know, Brandon, I've given this answer like 50 times and everybody said, no, never met anybody. <laughs> yeah. So thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Answer. You're welcome. <laughs> but I imagine we made the same decision that a car would too. I mean, an auto, excuse uh, me, self-driving car would. So we didn't do any better. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it, it's a tough one. But I, I think the, you know, the, the bigger issue for me is I have a Tesla. I love my Tesla. Mm -hmm. I drive it 90% on autopilot, but I'm always aware of the road and I'm, and I'm always aware to take over within a split second. And I would estimate that in the almost two years I've had my Tesla, um, if I were watching a movie or not paying attention, I would have had a hundred accidents, many of which I wouldn't have survived. Yep. It's, and it's, that's very scary. And now, the, you know, of course, the technology is getting better. But the other part about self-driving cars, and this is the part that really gets me, is people assume that because computers process faster than humans, they're going to be able to drive more safely. But that's, that's a fallacy. I mean, it might be that they can someday. But mm -hmm. it's, it's not a valid assumption. And, and the reason is because we have no idea how to program computers to think, to handle those situations that everybody's had that, you know, come up. You know, you, you see a, somebody zigzagging and say, oh, I wonder if that person's drunk or, yeah. um, well, you don't have uh, black ice, but, you know, well, you have conditions. But I'm originally from Ohio, so I'm here. very familiar with black there ice. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, how do you get computers to handle them? There are probably millions or billions of those. How do you get computers to handle all those, what are called edge cases? And if you can't, what does the, what does the car do when it, when it encounters one of them? I, I remember a case where when I was driving from West Palm Beach to Miami on 95, and I was in one of those traffic jams, except it wasn't one of those traffic jams. It was the one to end all traffic jams. And <laughs> what the police had to do was they finally blocked off an exit and they went in from the back and they signaled cars to, you know, one by one, back up, turn around and drive off the exit because they weren't going to clear it for like a day or two. Oh, wow. Now, how is a self-driving car going to figure out what that policeman is telling them to do? That's interesting. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I have a, you know, I, I worry a lot about, uh, about self-driving. And, you know, I'll tell you one, one more fact that, I'll, that you'll appreciate. I have a house in Florida also, um, so I appreciate it. Uh, Florida passed a law in 2016 that allows anybody to put a driverless car on the road. That sounds you like Florida. To, you don't have to prove that it's safe. Anybody can do it. 
that that sounds like a very Florida thing. I, I it's not a struggle to believe that by any means. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there there was something you said going back to the discrimination piece, and I apologize for coming back to this so slowly. That I, I found interesting just because historically that same thing happened with Kodak, right? When Kodak first made cameras, they were all developed for uh, fairer skinned people. Like so when a flash or all those other things. So they took terrible photos of people with uh, darker skin. And so you saw the same thing. So I think we have a history of doing those type of things where we, we let me say it this way, from a invention or innovation perspective, it makes sense to start off with a very excuse me, a narrow set of criteria that your, your system can do and you're developing it, say, for the facial recognition. You may give it, hey, it can recognize white males very well. Well, I think one of the things I would hope to start seeing is that as we start to expand those to the public, we start to add in those other filters, right? So you start to mix in uh, females, you start to mix in uh, minorities of various skin shades and everything like that. I, I think that's a good way to do it because if not, we're going to end up, with, like I said, what Kodak did and Kodak had to, uh, I forget how they did it. They they sent like a some kind of squares and like to all the photo developers to try to help them develop uh, the, the photographs for people with darker skin and stuff like that too. So I just want to, I don't want us to get that far down the road this time before we start to implement those kind of solutions. Cause like you said, yeah. it could work out in certain people's favor. Like again, going broader picture, there's already um, the understanding or the idea, let's say that cops aren't so great to minorities, right? Well, if they can't use their facial recognition si- uh, software on minorities, I think that might be okay for some of the minorities who are worried about the cops uh, being too harsh in them anyways. But, but to your point, that doesn't actually help Absolutely. the technology at all. Right, right. And and in fact, what's, what's happened with facial recognition in law enforcement, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and you know probably most others aren't selling their facial recognition software to law enforcement anymore. There's a moratorium on it. And um, there are all kinds of bills in, in Congress and in states and um, regulatory agencies are, are hyper aware of it. And um, there's, there's going to be a lot of regulation coming down the pike on discrimination. Uh, I think companies that implement machine learning or, or that implement AI systems, um, they're going to be required uh, legally to make sure that they don't discriminate. Um, and I think that's a that's a very good thing. It's already starting to be required in Europe, and I I would I'd be very surprised if we don't see laws in twenty twenty one that that anti AI discrimination laws that put the burden on the companies to make sure their AI systems don't discriminate. And there's a lot of technology that's being developed that'll help companies um, determine if their AI systems discriminate and. Uh, and help them fix it. So from your point of view, do you think that currently the leader in AI development and implementation, is it the United States or is it another country? And kind of like a a side question to that, how do we legislate for something, if we're not, how do we legislate for something that we're not necessarily putting into the world? How do we manage that, you know, with something like AI and how it could come here even though we're not developing it, yeah, it's a it, it's 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 difficult. Um, you know, I think we have some of the we are the leader in, in AI in a lot of respects. Um, you know, nobody's got the capabilities of Google or Amazon or Microsoft or OpenAI. 
Um, you know, there are a couple of, of Chinese companies. Baidu is, is has some pretty impressive facilities and mm. and Tencent, but not not at the level of, of of Google and so forth. On the other hand, the, the there's a lot looser regulatory framework in in some countries, China being a good example, so that we'll almost certainly see self-driving cars on the road in China before the United States. Why? Not because they're better at it, but because they'll be more accepting of accidents and fatalities. Um, there, was a, there was an interesting book written by the former head of Google AI in China. Um, and I shouldn't have gone down this path and unless I remember <laughs> his name. That's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, I'll Kai, put it on the episode Kai, Kai Fu right Lee. here. Kai Fu Lee. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Wonderful book that explains the differences in um, AI development in the U.S. versus China and who's going to win here and who's going to win there. Um, a great, great book. Yeah, and I'm, like I said, I'm very excited to see how, how all of that goes because I do think that ultimately AI, if managed correctly, has the potential to be another innovation that changes the way that we live, like the internet was, like the, the car was, like the printing press was, like those type of innovations, right? I think the AI, excuse me, I almost said the AI, <laughs> but AI can be another one of those types. And as long as we manage it correctly, and I'm hopeful that with people like yourself and other upcoming experts in this field, that we will listen to them. Because what I, I, I fear is that yeah. we let our political uh, leanings and other things like that dictate it more so than, hey, let's look at this technology and what it's capable of. There's going to be capitalistic endeavors, and I'm totally fine with that. I'm pro-capitalism. But I also want to see the humanitarian side of it. What can AI do for the good of humanity yeah. instead of just making money, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think... I think AI is doing a lot of good by making money. Um, <laughs> fair, fair. I mean, even in medicine, you know, we're developing a lot of systems that are going to help a lot of people and people are going to make money at it. Um, Google's making a lot of money off of their AI. So is Amazon and Microsoft. But those systems are, you know, are making our lives a lot easier. Um, Self-driving cars could be great or they could be terrible. I mean, the upside, you know, imagine... You know, if we don't have to drive anymore, um, you know, I'm getting up in my years, you know, in 20 years, I may not be able to drive. I'm really hoping self-driving cars are are there by then. Or teleportation, whichever, you know. Or, or <laughs> whichever teleportation. <laughs> so one of the things you touched on earlier, and I think it leads naturally into this, what we're talking about here, about the potential uses for AI. And one of the things we have to be careful of is the AI powered, if you will, weapons of war. You know, I, I'm a uh, former military. I was Air Force for about 11 years. So I could very easily see how that would be something the military would be interested in, because now you're talking about improving our capabilities as war fighters. But I, I, I really think that the battlefield is one of those places that needs to remain some level of not on the cutting edge of technology, if you will. But what, what are your thoughts on that? How, how do you think that that's a route we might see ourselves go down? Well, well, it's not, there's no might about it. It's it's happening. Um, but I think the important thing to realize is that the Terminator scenario <laughs> is not going to happen. There will be no Terminator. But where where you're seeing the biggest impact of AI in military um, is in drones. Mm. So uh, for the last 20, 25 years, without any artificial intelligence, 
you've had you know drones like the little helicopter the little little yeah. tr tiny toy drones you've had missiles um, that are all guided by an operator uh, sitting at headquarters with a joystick yep so the operator sees via cameras guides it and tells the missile or the the drone uh, tells the uh, it tells the missile or the drone when to uh, when to fire or when to uh, crash in and and blow up something. Um, what AI gives us the ability to do is to remove that operator with the joystick and to say, okay, when you find the person, this terrorist, when you recognize this face, that's who you should you shoot. Or when you see. Um, uh, you know something that looks like a, um, you know, a, a caravan with missile launchers on the back. That's what you should bomb. Um, so it's a it's a it's a step towards scarier weapons. Mm -hmm. um, but I would argue that it's not at the level of nuclear weapons over conventional weapons. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. Yeah, I think philosophically there is, and this is where I think for me the the, the question really becomes, uh, excuse me, the conversation really goes to is it's the philosophy and the ethics of it. Is it for America? It is safer for us to put a predator drone in a, uh, another land where there's hostile forces and everything, and have our airmen, uh, sailor, marines, soldiers, everybody um, safer that way. However, there is an ethical question to it. One of the instances of war is that there is some level of risk on both sides. And by putting the predator drone in there, where all we're risking is money. And I do think that that is a question that will continue to be developed. And again, like we do with everything, there they'll become philosophers who, uh, who talk about this, who eth ethical people who talk about this and everything. And I think that's just a very interesting dynamic to talk about is at what stage does our war weaponry start to become unethical because we see that now with the Geneva convention and things like right. mustard gas and all those type of things. And I'm very interested to see how we develop over time on things like the predator drone. And so far they've been kind of uh, hands off and they really haven't said too much that I've seen. And uh, under president Obama, we, we increased our drone attacks. And, and that's, I think is probably one of the ways in the future until we start to really challenge those things. But I am interested to see how that conversation develops because I can see a case for both, you know, being former military, I don't want to put my brothers and sisters in uniform in danger if I don't have to, but also just trying to be a compassionate person. It's like, how right is it that we're usually in some poor country and they don't have this technology we do. And so we're just able to massacre them, if you will, without even getting on their land. And I, I again, I don't know the answer. I don't have a solid oh, answer myself. I just think it's important that we ask these questions. Yeah, I, I do too. And it's, it is an interesting question. And, um, you know, in some ways, I'm amazed that we we actually reached some agreement on chemical weapons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm hopeful that we can do that kind of thing with with other weapons of war. But you know, as you said, we've had non AI drones for you know what 30 years, mm -hmm. and not just the United States. I mean, all countries have had them, or many countries have had them, and you know, we haven't come to any real agreements other than on uh, you know, some nuclear agreements. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's always a difficult discussion, and you know it comes down to you know we're we're worried that we'll turn ours off and the other guy won't. Yeah, well, and I think part of the the interesting thing for AI and any burgeoning, uh, am I saying that word right? I think I am. <laughs> Anyways, any technology that is relatively new, uh, like a lot of things in, in this world, it's capped behind 
access to capital, access to money and stuff like that. So for, for example, you mentioned earlier that you drive a Tesla, a lovely car, but that is locked behind a certain means, if you will, right? So I'm really interested to see at what point does AI start to become more accessible to lower so lower socioeconomic status people and how does it improve upon their lives instead of just the top of the line things i'm really interested to study when the ai essentially becomes the microwave if you will right where now a microwave's in everybody's homes but there was a time where that was a luxury device you know for those who just didn't have time to be right. bothered with certain things so i i, I want to see how that develops do you think that we're going to reach a point in say the next 20 years or so where ai starts to really bring the price down of the the technology that AI is put in? Or do you think that it's going to maintain a high level of cost for the foreseeable future? Oh, no, I think I, I think it's definitely going to come down. I, you know, I think it, all, all technology, when it starts off, it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. And then if it works, it gets commoditized. And self-driving self cars is a perfect example. Um, my wife just bought a, a Subaru Crosstrek, which is half the price of my Tesla, mm -hmm. less than half the price of my Tesla. Um, and it has a lot of these autopilot capabilities. She can turn it on. It'll, it'll stay in the lane and keep distance. And, yep. you know, a lot of the same things uh, my Tesla does. So I think we're seeing, uh, especially in self-driving cars, that those capabilities are um, uh, being more mass produced and made less expensive. Yeah, and my girlfriend has like a Honda Civic that, I wouldn't call it self-driving, but it has those what they call driver assist technologies, right? Where the same thing you're talking about, using its cameras, it can sense where the lane is, give that predictor where the lane is. And then if it feels you slipping out of it, it, it vibrates the wheel and tries to maintain uh, the lane and everything like that too. So I, I see what you're saying there. And I do think that those are the interesting parts of it. Maybe we see pieces of the full-fledged uh, AI in a system become more affordable for lower socioeconomic status people. And maybe that's the way that it starts to impact and, and proliferate all different uh, economic classes. At least exactly. if I'm hopeful yeah. for that anyway. I, I, I have no doubt that's going to happen. And, and again, like to your point, like you said, the Subaru Crosstrek is a perfect example. It's already starting to happen. You're already starting to see it at different price points. And that's really where you start to see a technology either take off or realize that, hey, this only really works in the higher end items that it's going to be cost prohibitive for some years to come. You saw that with a, a just going re, again, really random examples with a flat screen TVs, you know, for many years, flat screen TVs, you, if you didn't have $5,000, yeah. you weren't getting one, you know, and, and it, then I remember uh, right. helping my, my stepfather buy a, a flat screen TV that back then seemed like it was huge. And then I remember talking about the size, it's 45 inches. That's nothing anymore. You can get that for like $200 now, you know? And, and I think we're going to see the same thing with AI at some point. But I am very, like I said, I'm, AI is one of the most intriguing subjects out there. And I think it's something that, uh, an industry that has got a lot of innovation to come and a lot of things that are cool, uh, really cool ahead of it. And if you're an investor, I, I think looking at some AI ETFs or some, uh, some companies that specialize in AI might be something you'd be interested in. So uh, I definitely think that it's a really cool thing going forward. So Hopefully, we'll continue to have people like yourself, like I said, who are very interested in it from a very – because you were on the forefront. Like before this was a thing where people were basically laughing at, at the idea of AI. Like how, how warm was it back then? How warm was the room back when you were in the 80s trying to tell people you worked on AI? And they're like, what? What are you talking about? Like what was that like? Oh, you know, in the early 80s, it was just like it is now. Hmm. Everybody knew what AI was. Oh, wow. Really? Every, every software product on the market said AI inside, you know, it was just, you, if you weren't 
if you weren't AI, you weren't a good product. <laughs> I mean, it was really hot back then. And so is that why you were able to, because uh, I think you, if of reading your bio before, you've been an AI kind of like entrepreneur, you've been involved in a lot of these companies and everything that were trying to develop this stuff. Is that why you think you were able to do that? Is that because of people kind of recognize the allure of it that early on? Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, what happened is I was able to keep raising money for like 10 years and I shouldn't have been able to because, <laughs> you know, we had no idea about business. I mean, you know, four four years into it, you know, we were we were building a an AI system for uh, to sit on top of a business accounting system, and I was sitting in a room and somebody started talking about General Ledger, and I'm listening and listen. And finally, I said, "Wait a second, who's this General Ledger guy? Is he somebody in the <laughs> army?" <laughs> Swear to God, that's a true story. I mean. <laughs> What am I doing? And what, what was I doing in business? And it was only because there was so much hype around AI and so much money being thrown at AI, like there is now, that I was able to get away with it. And you know, I was for me, it was one of those uh, in the, you know, in the right place at the right time situations. That's that's an awesome story. I, I love hearing stories like that because I, I think for me, one of the things that a lot of people get very scared of is. Well, let's say two things because we're talking about both of them in this conversation right here. AI being one of them, we've I think we've dealt with that, right? Anybody who's listening to this conversation is still scared of AI. They just want to be scared at this point. And the, but the second one is entrepreneurship. And so through this conversation in that story, exactly, you, you capture how you can really understand, not understand entrepreneurship and still be making a pass at it because you understand a different piece of it. Like you, you didn't know that business side of it necessarily, but you knew AI. AI was your, your meal ticket. That's how you made your... Uh, your money and everything. And I think that's one of the things I always try to tell people when it comes to entrepreneurship, just know one thing. You don't want to know everything. You'll eventually pick up some of these things. You'll learn who General Ledger is and everything, but just be very good at the thing that got you there. And for you, that was AI. And it, it's it been very uh, good to you, it seems like, uh, just from the outside looking in. It seems like AI has uh, led to you having a pretty good life. And like I said, a lot of business success and everything too. So uh, congratulations. <laughs> so what's next? I what give the exact same advice when... Sorry, go ahead. I apologize. Oh, I was just going to say, I give the same exact same advice when somebody says to me, what advice do you give to uh, young people who want to get into entrepreneurship? And I say, learn one thing really well, find out where the issues are and solve a, you know, solve a real problem. Exactly. Because I, I think too many people are... Think they have to be Facebook, Google, Tesla, or something like that. Like real, most entrepreneurships, like one of the biggest companies in the entire country, if I think this is still true, I, I don't check up on it day to day, but it's AIG, American Insurance Group. They just do insurance. They're Now, do they have some innovative insurance projects? I'm sure, but I'm not going to look into it because insurance bores me to tears. But but you just do that one thing really well and you could grow exponentially. So I, I agree with you 100%. So. So last question, I think, for you, because and thank you so much for spending your time on this Monday evening when you, I'm sure you had much better things to do. Uh, last question I have for you is, what do you think is the next stage of uh, AI? I won't try to nail you down to a timeline because we, we can't possibly tell when it's going to happen, but, but what's next for AI? What do you think we go from here? You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think we're going to start, I think we're going to see a lot more, uh, a much more, broader impact of AI. I think it's going to, it's going to impact, you know, I, I have that list of all the different areas it's impacting. We're mm -hmm. going to see, you know, 
the, the, the same type of application, but with really clever um, ways of putting it to use. Like, you know, in grocery stores, we'll see cameras that basically watch what people do. Do they take something off the shelf and then put it back and then put it in their cart? Mm-hmm. And it'll analyze um, people's behavior that much, that much better, which, which has its privacy implications. And um, but you know we're going to see those those applications all over. Um, I, I, you know, it's 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 kind of interesting. Are we going to see the the major major breakthroughs that that have been happening for the last five years? Uh, outside of self driving cars, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they slow down a little bit. Hmm. You know, and then the big question is, will we ever go get over that hurdle? and build really intelligent machines. And I don't think we will. What about cyborgs? Are we going to get cyborgs at any time you think? Some some AI? Oh, come on. You're killing my dreams here. That's my, (laughs) that's my dream. I want to be like 90% metal from the neck down. (laughs) Yeah. No, you you know, (laughs) well, Elon Musk is working on that, but. (laughs) Exactly. And and I really don't want to say never, you know, what I said in my book is I think it's about as likely as time travel I'm going to give your example, teleportation. <laughs> We're discovering the fountain of youth. Oh, man. Uh, well, I mean, at least there's a chance, right? There's always a chance, and that's that keeps yeah. the optimism up. So so tell everybody really quick where they can find more of you, and uh, please mention the name of your book. I definitely want to plug it in the, the comments for this so they can see and go buy it because it's a very interesting topic. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, my book is Evil Robots, Killer Computers, and Other Myths. The Truth About AI and the Future of Humanity, uh, available on Amazon and pretty much almost every retail outlet. And you can find links to that print book. I also have a free, much more technical AI 101 book on my website, um, plus a blog. And that website is AIperspectives.com. Outstanding. Thank you so much. Like I said, I'm going to put this all in the comments and hopefully people will go there and learn because AI, one, is not as scary as people think it is, which you've already proven. And then two, there's a lot of money to be made there. So if you're a young person and you're seeing this and you can go to there and start to get interested in this and you can make a really good life for yourself out of this. And then next thing you know, you could be driving a Tesla as well. (laughs) So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Steven. I really appreciate you coming on here today and everything. And I'm going to give you the rest of your evening back. But just again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Brandon. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for checking out Starting Nowhere. Come find us on Facebook so you can comment on this and other clips and episodes of Starting Nowhere.